Hello and welcome to the Adaptive Zone podcast, talking all things running and triathlon, from injury through rehabilitation and into performance. My name is Matthew Boyd, I'm a physiotherapist living in Red Deer, Alberta, originally from the UK, and I'll be your host. Hey guys, we're talking about tendons again today, and today we're going to be talking about rehab, what to do when your tendon hurts. So last time in the last episode we talked about you know, the pathology, the underlying pathophysiology of what goes wrong in a tendon. And that's very important when we come to talk about what we're going to do about it. So if you go back and listen to the last episode, we talk about, you know, tendon degeneration, changes in the tendon structure. Today, we're going to focus on the practical. So if you've got tendon pain, say your Achilles tendon hurts, your patella tendon, that's your kneecap tendon hurts, your um, one of the tendons in your shoulder hurts from swimming like your rotator cuff tendon your tendon on the side of your hip the gluteal tendon or the hamstring tendon either where it inserts at the knee or in the um uh, just by the sit bone essentially these tendons the way i always explain it to people when i'm trying to talk about what tendon pain is uh, essentially tendons hurt when they're not strong enough to do their job and that can be, you know, a number of different scenarios. So if the demands on the tendon are very high, let's say the Achilles tendon in running, and you run a lot, say you run 50k a week and some of it's like sprinting up hills, the demands placed on the tendon in that scenario are extremely high. And if the capacity of that tendon is just as high, then you won't have any pain. However, if the capacity of the tendon to tolerate that load is just a little bit lower, then you will get pain. If it's a lot lower, you'll get a lot of pain and may not be able to run that much. Similarly, though, you can have tendon pain when you don't do a ton of um, stressful activities on the tendon. So if we take the Achilles tendon again, a lot of older people get Achilles tendon pain and they're not runners. They just they, they just have a sort of relatively sedentary life. So if you take someone in that scenario, the demands being placed on the tendon are very low. So if the tendon has a little bit of capacity, you can tolerate those loads. But if it has a little bit less capacity than that, then it'll be painful. So it doesn't really matter whether you're at the top end of the spectrum running 50k plus um, kilometers a week, or you're at the bottom end of the spectrum where you're you know, just walking or very little of that the tendons have to be strong enough to do their job. And if their job is harder than their, uh, sorry, if the, the demands of the job place more mechanical stress in the tendon than the tendon has capacity to deliver, then pain will emerge. So when I explain this concept to my clients and say, you know, the capacity of the tendon is here and the, uh, sorry, the demands being placed on the tendon is here and the capacity of the tendon is just a bit lower, that's here, and there's a gap between the two, and this is what the problem is. And I say, what are we going to do about this? And they say, one of two things, always. They say, either we need to bring the demand down to meet the capacity, or we have to increase the capacity to meet the demand. And they're both correct. And I'd say it's about 50-50, which answer I get. Now, in rehab, in reality, we do both, and you'll naturally do both. So if you're putting more stress on your tendon than it can tolerate, you'll naturally run a bit less, right? So if your Achilles tendon starts to hurt after long runs, you'll naturally reduce the um, length of those long runs. The trouble is over time, you get into that pain 
um, sorry, pain rest weakness cycle, right? So you do less and less, the tendon capacity goes down because you're not placing demands on it that require it to adapt to that stress. So we do want to temporarily reduce the stress on the tendon by probably running a bit less or avoiding the type of running that is provoking the tendon. So it might be just hills especially, it might be the long runs, it might be the sprints. But if you can identify the type of running that is bothering your tendon, then you can just restrict that one. But if you can't, then you want to reduce the overall volume and try and find a way that you're running still, but not so much that you're irritating the tendon all the time. And I always tell people to use like a traffic lights approach. So green pain is it, you know, it doesn't hurt at all, which means that amount of running is fine. Red pain is it's getting worse, right? The longer you run, the worse it gets. It hurts the next day. It's making me limp. Each run is worse than the last one. Um, it hurts quite a bit while I'm running and I it's, it's not a pain that I'm comfortable ignoring, right? So those all indicate red light pain. Um, sometimes if you imagine a pain score, like a one to 10, uh, 10 being the worst, in the research they use this sort of cutoff of four. So you're allowed up to a four, but you're not allowed five or more. So that uh, five or more would be like red light pain, as I call it. Orange light pain makes you know, it's that one to four on the pain scale and it's usually okay, but it means proceed with caution, just like the traffic lights, right? It, it means you need to pay attention to that pain, but you don't necessarily have to do less, but you have to pay attention to it. So we want to reduce the running volume in a, or the running intensity or the running training, or if it's swimming, the amount of swimming or, or whatever to a, the, the, the demands of the training to a level that the tendon can tolerate then we want to increase the capacity so how do we do that well we have to make it stronger and usually if you spend six to twelve weeks focusing very hard on strengthening your tendon you can improve the capacity of that tendon to tolerate load and then you will be able to run um, the amount that you want to if you want to run more in the future you'll have to increase the tendons um, stress tolerance uh, alongside that and the reason i say six to twelve weeks is because it seems to be that's how long it takes to make meaningful changes in the capacity of the tendon to tolerate stress and that's the time period they usually do research studies over so research on tendon pain almost invariably is either a six or more commonly a 12-week intervention so that strength training either every day or three times a week putting a lot of stress on your tendon in different ways and then being in it for the long haul so the people who have tendon problems whether it be in their knee their achilles their shoulder wherever the ones who invest that time and are prepared to be patient and work at it for two or three months they're the ones who get better. The ones who are looking for uh, tendon pain to improve significantly in a short time period and look, uh, they, they expect big changes within one or two weeks. I always tell people when they come in for tendon problems, tendons are slow. And so just expect it to take a while. If you expect no improvements in the next few weeks, but you're going to do your exercises anyway, then you'll probably do well. If you expect to see improvements um, quickly, then you probably won't. And most people can testify if they've had tendon problems that they come and go for years. So I see a lot of people who've had it niggling in the background for many years and they sort of reduce or increase the demands on it, but never work on the capacity. 
So they, they, when their tendon's bothering them, say it's their Achilles tendon, they might do less hiking or less running or whatever it is. If it's the shoulder, they might do less swimming. But then it'll sort of calm down and then during the winter they'll do a bit less and then the summer they'll ramp up again and then it starts to come back. And they'll have this on-off relationship with tendon pain for many years and that's super common. So I would say it's worth that 6 to 12 weeks because we do have pretty good evidence that if you work on strengthening your tendons and increasing their capacity that you will see significant improvements in, um, in your ability to use them in the long term. And this is often where, you know, clients will ask me about other forms of therapy. So we'll talk in a moment, I'm going to sort of outline how you do this tendon strengthening stuff. And people often ask, you know, what about injections? What about electrotherapy like laser or ultrasound? What about shockwave? What about PRP injections, which is a, a type of injection? Um, what about steroid injections? And I was listening to a, a talk with a, a tendon researcher from Australia named Ebony Rio, um, I think last week. And she put it really well and it really made me happy because I've been seeing this for years. And um, it's kind of vindicating when someone a lot smarter than me in the tendon world <laughs> says the same thing. But when I would get that question from clients, I'd always say, well, what's the problem? Okay, the, the capacity of the tendon is below the demands being placed on the tendon what can an injection do about that? You know, does the tendon reduce the demand? No. Does the tendon, uh, sorry, does the injection reduce the demand? No. Does it increase the capacity of the tendon? No, not unless it's a magic injection. There's nothing we can inject into you that will make your tendon stronger any more than we can inject something that would make your muscles stronger and bigger, right? Even if you take something like, you know, banned substances like uh, steroids or something if you just take them and sit on the couch nothing happens right and so the adaptive capacity of the body really depends on the stimulus being placed on it so no all of those passive interventions they may help in the short term to reduce pain they may help i think there's potential in the future for some of that regenerative injection stuff to to show um, an added benefit if you keep the strength training for the tendons in as well and the rehabilitation. But as yet, there's not much evidence that it is any better than um, just just a placebo injection. So I would say focus on the thing that we know works. We know that loading the tendons makes them stronger and it makes you more able to run. Um, and passive interventions uh, which is anything where you're not asked to do something really the evidence is mixed it's not very good um, and there's not much of it so that that's where it kind of sits with those kind of in, um, interventions and the other thing I'd say about that is I mean it's a little biased because I'm a physio but one of my favorite sayings I think I got it from Bob Kelso on scrubs <laughs> and it was Nothing in life worth having comes easy. And I think that works really well when you think about injuries in general for injuries, whether it comes from a tendon or uh, patellofemoral pain or plantar fasciopathy or um, any kind of problem. Uh, nothing that comes easy is going to have that much impact on it. So injections, electrotherapy, other things like that. They're not going to make a significant change 
compared to the things that are hard. So if you're looking at doing hitting the gym two or three times a week or doing exercises at home every day for two or three months, that's going to have a way better effect than anything that can be done to you that comes easy. So that's, um, that's my thoughts on that. Okay, so hopefully I've convinced you if you have tendon pain that the thing to do is to make it stronger, right? And then the only question is how? What's the best method of making the tendon stronger? How are you going to approach it? And what we're looking to do is place a little more stress on the tendon than it can currently tolerate so that the body adapts to that stress and makes the tendon tougher, more resilient. And we can divide the different types of stress that we can put on a tendon into... um, well, sorry, different types. <laughs> I I explain it as a spectrum, right? With very low load on the tendon at one end and very high load on the tendon at the other end. Just to try and make this make a bit more sense, we'll talk about one specific tendon. But you can you can apply this to any tendon. So if we talk about, let's say, the Achilles tendon first, the low end of the spectrum would be a static load. And that would mean, you know, if you're standing on the edge of a step with your heels off the end, so you're just holding your weight there, um, your Achilles tendon, which is your coming down from your calf and inserting into the heel, and it's staying still, but it's holding you there, so it's not letting you fall down. So that's a static stress, right? And that's the easiest form of uh, stress or load for the tendon to tolerate. Uh, if you were to be walking or just moving up and down on that step, then as the tendon pulls you up, um, sorry, as the tendon pulls you up and down, then you're going to get what I call a light slow stress. So the, the stress being experienced by the tendon is still pretty light and it's moving slowly. Okay, and that's slightly more difficult to tolerate than static stress, but it's not as difficult as the next step up, which would be heavy. So say we take that same calf raise exercise that we're doing on the edge of the step and we put like a dumbbell in your hand. Then we've added some external weight. Maybe we put a backpack on you with a couple of dumbbells in that. Now we're talking heavy slow. So you're still moving slowly, but it's heavier. And that's a little more stress on the tendon than the light slow, which is a lot more than the static. And then the most stressful thing you can do to a tendon is what we call a plyometric stress or a, a, a fast stress, I call it. So if you were to get off the step and uh, do some skipping or do some running, that... Um, puts a very fast stress on the tendon and that's the most stressful type of stress <laughs> that's the most stressful force that you can put on a tendon and it's the most difficult to tolerate and that's the one that'll make your tendon hurt so often people will with tendon pain say in the achilles won't have too much trouble walking and things like that but it's when they try and run or skip or sprint or jump anything that involves a fast movement that's when the tendon will usually start to hurt and what you often see if people have had let's say achilles tendon problems for a long time is they'll they'll just avoid those fast stresses so they they might stop running or run a very small amount or they might switch to biking or something like that um and they'll just do all their other stuff and like oh it's gone but then as soon as they try to run again it's like it's back and it, it never really goes anywhere because you have to put the stress on it in order to get that adaptation that you want to make it able to tolerate those stresses in the last episode, um, we talked about the underlying pathology. So we've got the tendon is made of collagen, and then you, uh, during tendon pathology or tendinopathy, we call it, the collagen becomes a little disorganized. So instead of being like a um, tightly bound uh, steel wire of collagen, it's, it's more kind of higgledy-piggledy, and there's little gaps and such. 
And the, the thing with tendon research is, you know, when you look at the research on loading programs and stuff, it tends to do really well in terms of people go back to running, they go back to sport, they have less pain, they feel better. And then when they rescan them sometimes, they don't see too much change. So the tendon looks just as rubbish as it ever did, but it doesn't hurt anymore and they're doing way more, which is weird. And the way that we think this is working is that we're strengthening the donut, not the hole. So whatever collagen fibers are remaining that are still working, they're the ones we make stronger. And it doesn't matter that there's gaps beside them because if you take the net strength of the tendon overall, if you strengthen the things that are left, even if you don't reestablish the things that have been lost, then you can end up with more overall strength in the tendon than you ever had. Even though you've got less fibers doing it, those fibers are so much stronger. So a lot of the time when people have ultrasound scans and such on their tendons, they all sort of be a little discouraged because they see all this degeneration and these gaps in the tendon. Um, but what the evidence says is that if you strengthen what remains, you will increase your capacity, even if those gaps stay there. And then one final concern that a lot of people have when they have tendon pain. So again, let's stick with the Achilles just to make it easy to understand. You know, so my tendon hurts, hurts when I run. And now you're telling me to stand on the edge of a step, put a load of weights in my backpack and start doing strengthening exercises for my calf and the Achilles tendon. And they worry that it's going to break, right? And uh, that's a reasonable thing to worry about. And it does happen. So it's called a tendon rupture. The thing is, in all of the research that I've read on tendon rehabilitation, where they push people really hard, give them really heavy weights, get them to do hundreds of reps a day sometimes, I haven't read any reports of a single rupture during those exercises. When tendon ruptures happen, it's usually in someone who hasn't got that much tendon pain. And because they haven't got that much tendon pain, they haven't usually backed off so much. The very typical example is um, a middle-aged guy who's relatively sedentary but plays a high-intensity and explosive sport, maybe once a week. So squash is the sort of stereotypical example. So the reason the tendon rupture is it just becomes so degenerated that if you put a very high-intensity stress through it all at once, sometimes it can't tolerate that stress and it breaks just like any other structure that you would pull. If it doesn't have a physical capacity to withstand the stress being placed on it, it'll break. Now, the reason I think it doesn't happen... well. All I would say is I don't know exactly why it doesn't happen very often in rehab. In fact, I don't think I know of a single example of it happening in rehab. And the other thing is that it only seems to happen to people who aren't really complaining of much tendon pain. Like I said, it happens to people out of the blue. And it's usually when they're playing some sort of explosive sport like basketball or squash or something like that. And they, they're of a certain age, sort of middle age plus and they don't play that much sport. So they maybe play once a week or twice a week and then they go crazy hard when they do. I don't have a good evidence-based explanation for why that is the way it is, but one thing we can take away from it is it's very unlikely that you're gonna rupture your tendon doing your rehabilitation, doing your strengthening exercises. Part of the reason is because most of those tendon exercises are gonna be very slow. So we're gonna be doing calf raises, off the edge of a step very slowly, even if they're heavy. We're going to be doing seated calf raises very heavy. Again, moving very slowly. 
And then we're going to be slowly sprinkling in a little bit of plyometric stuff like running and jumping and hopping. Now, because you have that sort of graded approach, right, that makes it a little bit less likely that you're going to put a big stress on it all at once that's far above what it's used to. The other thing is because it hurts, you are going to be going a bit easier on it. In general, you're less likely to go and play squash once a week because it's telling you I'm I'm not happy, I'm not coping. And I think that the sort of silent ones, and a lot of people who rupture the tendon, like I say, had previously no pain. And I think because they don't get that warning, they don't they don't back off a bit, they don't seek rehab, they don't start working on it. Uh, they don't even go easier on it. And I think that may be what allows them to put this massive stress on it all at once that it can't tolerate. So I would say if you're having tendon pain, the best thing you can do for it is make it as strong and resilient as you can. And the best way to do that is by doing calf raises, seated calf raises, things like that. It's far more likely that you'll rupture it if you try and ignore it and just reduce the demands on it. Because if you just reduce the demands on it by running less, uh, avoiding jumping, then the time when you, you know you, you run for a bus or you try to jog across the road because you want to get over before the crosswalk thing goes off, that's when the high stress will go through it and it's not prepared for it. So it's far better to be prepared. Uh, what do they say? Um, prepare the... the child for the road not the road for the child i think is another quote that i really like right so it's make your tendon as robust as you can so that when the inevitable demands are placed on it it can tolerate it um rather than trying to protect it from demands that might break it make it so strong it's kind of unbreakable that's the approach to take in my opinion so in a practical sense, how do we do this? We've got you know static loads at one end of the spectrum that are quite easy. We've got plyometric loads at the other end that are very hard. We know it's not tolerating plyometric loads very well because when you try and run, it hurts, whether it's the Achilles tendon, the kneecap tendon, whatever tendon it is in your leg, usually your leg, sometimes the shoulder if it's swimming. We want to build the tolerance to that plyometric stress. We want to set a base of heavy, slow resistance training. So that's what the research mostly has been done on getting heavy weights moving slowly doing it progressively over a period of six to 12 weeks and then doing a maintenance program beyond that and that's what we want to try and aim for now if you go and work with a physio like me they'll, they'll tell you exactly what to do okay if you're achilles tendon you're going to stand on the edge of a step we're going to get you to go up and down, right? You did you did it on two legs. It was fine. You did it on one leg. It hurt a little bit. But it was only an orange light. So we're going to keep going. You, did, you managed 15 reps before you tapped out. So we're going to get you to do three times 12 reps. And you're going to do that once every day or once every second day until I see you next week. We're going to see where you're at and we're going to give you something else. And that's the, that's the best way to do it because then you're going to get that sort of one-to-one -one guidance on exactly how much to do and which type of exercise and all that kind of thing. But if you're working on your own or if you're just trying to inform yourself so that as you're working with your physio, you get a bit of back and forth and you can come up with the best rehab plan. What I usually, my, my sort of underlying thought is once you can do 15 reps you make it heavier and then that just applies across the board so let's say we want to start with three times 15 reps of a single leg calf raise and you try and do it and you can only do 12 reps well three times 
12 is going to be very hard because 12 is your absolute max. So let's chop a couple off. Let's do 3 times 10. And it, your max is depending on, you know, it could be limited by the fact that I can't actually do it, which is usually the limiting factor, or it could be that it hurts too much. Now, as I said, doesn't usually hurt that much um, when you're doing heavy, slow resistance on tendons. It usually hurts more when you do the plyometric, the jumping, that kind of stuff. So that's much harder, and we'll get to that in a sec. Say you're doing your single leg calf raises, and you're going to go three times 10, and you're going to just do that every day or every second day for a couple of weeks until you can do three times 12. And then you can do that every day or every second day until you can do three times 15. And once you can do three times 15, full range of movement with good form, you increase the weight a little bit. So you grab a five pound dumbbell, hold it in one hand or put it in a backpack and do your calf raises again. You won't be able to do 15 anymore because it's heavier. So you'll be back down to like 10. But for a couple of weeks, you work at that, you get to 12. A couple more weeks, you work at that, you get to 15. Once you get to 15, now you have to go back down again. So you put more weight in the backpack, you grab a 10 pound dumbbell or a 15 pound or a 20 pound or whatever you need to make it hard enough that you can't do 15 anymore. And then you build it up. Once you can do three times 15, you add more weight and drop it back down. Just continue that. If you continued that for three months, you'd probably find you'd make a huge improvement in the um, pain in your tendon. Now, that's that wouldn't be the absolute best or most evidence-based because most of the evidence gets people going actually quite a bit heavier than that. So say we're doing three times 15 and we call a rep max. A rep max is like the most you can do for that amount of repetitions. A 15 rep max, right, the most you can do for 15 is going to be less weight than a 10 rep max, right? Because whatever you can do 10 reps of, you couldn't do 15 because it's heavier, right? And then a five rep max is going to be heavier still. So let's say you your 15 rep max, you might be able to do that holding a five pound dumbbell. Your 10 rep max, you might be able to do that holding a 10 pound dumbbell. And your five rep max, you might be able to hold like a 30 pound dumbbell because you only have to do five of them. And what we would ideally see is a little bit of a sprinkling of both. So you'd have some that were a bit lighter, let's say three sets of 15, where you're using like a five pound dumbbell, and then one or two sets of five reps where you're using like a 30 pound dumbbell. And Try to understand that I don't want you to use those exact weights. I want you to do your rep max. So it really depends on what you can do. You might be able to do 50 pounds for five calf raises. You might be able to do 80 pounds for five calf raises, right? Like it really depends where your tendon is at. That's the, um, that's where you want to start and then improve it from there. So there's, there's no prescription. You can't go do three times 12 at 12 pound dumbbells. Yeah, you've got to start with what is your uh, capacity and then try and add a bit onto that. So I'd say spend six to 12 weeks building from three sets of 15, adding more and more and more weight until you're going really heavy and then try and blend until you, you move into like four sets of eight, then five sets of five. Like that would be a really nice way to do it where you're going from a, at the start, you're doing more reps, but you're doing lighter weights. And as the weeks pass, you're getting stronger and stronger and you're doing heavier weights, but for less reps. 
And during that time, we're going to sprinkle in a little bit of plyometric. Now, the easiest way to sprinkle that in would be running, right? So we want to keep you running the amount that it can currently tolerate. So let's say it can tolerate 40k a week and each run cannot be longer than 25 minutes and you just divide it all up and that's how you do it. And then as the weeks pass, you add more if it'll tolerate more. I always tell people with tendons, usually they like it if they get 24 hours off. So if you run on Monday, take Tuesday off and then run on Wednesday. It seems to be something related to what we call tendon turnover, like cellular turnover, the time it takes to to respond and regenerate in, in response to, a, a, they call it like a, like a loading cycle or a, um, a stressful event like going for a run on the tendon. It's going to stimulate that adaptation. If you give it sort of 48 hours to adapt to that, it tends to tolerate it better than doing a run every single day. So I usually tell people at first, as we're getting back to running, try and give it 48 hours off. So run every other day. And you can maybe do your strength exercises every other day, like sandwiched in between. And it's totally fine to do these strength training exercises every day or every other day. There's been research studies done on both and they both seem to work. The important thing is how heavy you go and being consistent enough to do it for, like I say, six to 12 weeks. And then there's some other things to think about. So um, before we get to that though, let's say, say it's not your Achilles tendon, right? So we were talking there about doing calf raises on the edge of a step holding dumbbells. You could also do it sitting on a calf raise machine in the gym doing a seated calf raise. And um, that would be for the Achilles tendon. You could apply the same sort of template to, let's say you have a patella tendon problem. You know that machine in the gym where you sit on it and straighten your knees that everybody hits? I call it quad curl, but I think the real name for it is a seated knee extension. That puts a load on your head patella tendon and you can use that as your way to strengthen your tendon you could also use a lunge or a squat i would say a lunge is better because it's a single leg so you can be more prescriptive and make sure that the strong leg isn't carrying the weak leg you could do a lunge you could do a split squat you could do uh, these do these decline squats sometimes like sort of on the inclined board um what else could you do you could do a pistol squat. <laughs> Anything which puts a stress on that patella tendon, you can use as your sort of intervention exercise. Uh, for me, I usually use the, the seated um, knee extension machine because it allows you to isolate the stress to the patella tendon and the quadricep, as opposed to, say, a lunge in which you can use other muscles like your glutes and your hamstrings to help you get up. And it gives the quads a little bit of a break. So, I, or the leg press is another good one. But I like the seated knee extension for patella tendon problem. For Achilles tendon, I like the calf raise or the calf raise with a little bend in the knee because that sort of replicates the the position we have our ankle and knee in when we when we run. So it, it sort of trains that tissue tolerance in a in an angle that is reflective of the way we want to use it. Other ways, uh, like say you've got a hamstring tendon problem, so the pain in your tendon is up by the sit bone, like on the back of your leg, and the single leg deadlift is a good one for that, or a hamstring curl where you lie on your tummy or you sit on a chair and you curl the weight up. Um, the gluteal tendons is tricky. A gluteal tendon pain is like right on the side of the hip, like the, the bony bit on the side of your hip. Um, you know, monster walks or uh, sumo walks or 
uh, I call them crocodiles or side planks where you lift one leg and eventually progressing to resistance band. It's hard, harder than the other ones to isolate that. The clams is a good exercise, but you need something where you put enough stress through that um, gluteal, the gluteal muscles and pushing out sideways that it's hard to do 15, right? If you can do more than 15, if you do clams, for example, so you have gluteal tendon pain and you can do 50 clams in a row, the clams is the it's a Pilates exercise where you sort of lie on your side with your knees bent and lift the top leg up. If you can do 50 of them, that's just never going to be enough stress to recreate the two or three times body weight experienced when we run. So we've got to um, find ways of making that more stressful. And that might be that kind of problem is usually helpful to see. Well, I mean, all of them, but a rehab professional can help show you ways to get enough stress through that tendon to make it adapt. It's a more tricky one than the others, especially like the calf and the seated knee extension. Like it's really easy to get the stress in the right place. And um, the gluteal tendon's a little more difficult. Anyway, <laughs> I got I got sidetracked because I was talking about sprinkling in some plyometrics and I said, we're going to do that in the form of running. So running is one type of plyometric stress that we can put on our tendons in order to ask them to adapt. And then we just titrate the volume and type. And if we're going to do something like a long run that might be less stress on the tendon than say a sprint intervals or hill repeats because when we run faster we put more stress on the tendons when we run slower even if we go longer the overall net stress may be less so you might find that you can tolerate long runs actually better than you can tolerate hills and it may be the speed that's the difficult thing but you have to listen to your tendon right so your tendon will tell you where its capacity is and you're going to respond to it. The other thing I like uh, for plyometric stress, to sprinkle in that plyometric stress or fast stress uh, tolerance, is uh, skipping. I think it, skipping or little little bouncing, I call it bunny hops or, uh, or bunny jumps. Those things are great for building plyometric stress tolerance. Uh, in the research, they sometimes call it the stress shorten cycle. So this is the capacity of tendons to just rebound like springs. So again, last time we talked about, you know, put your finger on your chest, pull your finger up and let it go and it'll just flick back. And that's your tendon and pulling uh, back with elastic recoil. And I think about 30% of our propulsive forces we run comes through elastic recoil in our tendons. And helping to train that capacity is really important when it comes to conditioning tendons to be strong enough to meet the demands. And we can do it just with running, but if we sprinkle in some other stuff like some skipping or some bunny hopping or some, uh, sometimes I get people to do like a line hop, which is where you just, you get a line and you basically just bounce left to right over it and move forward. Uh, and you can either do it standing on two legs or standing on one, depending on how difficult it is. And with those, like, it depends what you can tolerate. You could start with like three sets of 10 hops or three sets of, th let's say, 10 seconds skipping, right? And then you just see, oh, well, how did my tendon react to that? And it's like, well, it was fine. So I'll add a little bit more. I'll try three sets of 20 seconds skipping and that was fine. So... I'll try three sets of 30 seconds skipping and you can just work out where you are. It might be that your tendons can tolerate like single leg skipping, like on one leg for like five minutes. Like that would be an awesome stress to put on the tendon if it can tolerate it. But what you would do is you would start with the amount of that 
bouncing or hopping that was tolerable and you would do that in your in your gym sessions after you've done the uh, the heavy slow resistance stuff and then you would just uh, sort of like i say you're sprinkling it in at the end you want much more time spent on the heavy slow stuff and then a little bit of the plyometric stuff because the plyometric stuff the fast stuff is much more intense uh, so we want to uh, be a little more careful with that one if anything's going to irritate it it's going to be that Now, the final thing I wanted to touch on about tendons is that a lot of um, physio intervention for tendon pain over the years has been this thing called eccentric training. And this is, a, it gets a little bit jargony. And I thought about leaving this out of the episode, but I wanted to bring it in because it's so common. I don't want people to be like, why didn't he talk about that? Eccentric means lengthening. So let's take our coffers again. So we're standing on the edge of a step on one foot with our heel off the edge and we're going to go up and down, okay? So as we're going up, the calf muscle is shortening. It's getting shorter and it's pulling on the tendon. As the muscle is shortening in, in the sort of medical world, they call that concentric muscle contraction. It's getting smaller. As you lower yourself back down, so the heel's going down now, the calf muscle is elongating or lengthening and we call that an eccentric contraction because that's the calf muscle is still what's lowering you down, but it's it's doing it by getting longer, not shorter. So we sort of differentiate those two types of muscle contraction. And a lot of the early work on tendons focused on that eccentric part, the second part, right? So it's not the bit where you're pulling your heel up. It's the bit where you're lowering it down. And the reason for that is actually more coincidence than science so it's to do with the the way that tendon research sort of evolved so in the 90s there was a guy called alfredson who came up with this protocol it was called the um, alfredson protocol <laughs> and it, uh, he had he had people doing these calf raises where they would stand on the edge so well i'll say when he, where he got up from first so he, he had achilles tendon problems himself and it's become a little bit like tendon tendon rehab law i don't i don't know if this is true it's like kind of like mythology <laughs> but i tried to find out what the true story was because i've heard it in a bunch of different places in a bunch of different ways but i can't find a good source um essentially what i believe happened was this uh dr alfredson uh had a achilles tendon issue and he lived in australia back in the 90s i think it was australia don't quote me on that um and he he was like talking to his surgeon colleagues and that he was asking them, you know, to, to operate on his Achilles tendon because it was hurting and he couldn't run. And he tried everything at the time that we thought helped. So we thought that Achilles tendon pain at the time came from overuse. So um, it would swell up and get painful and you needed to rest it, ice it and take anti-inflammatories and then it'll heal and it'll go back to normal. But that didn't pan out. You would rest it, ice it. And it would calm down, but then as soon as he tried to run again, it would start to hurt again. And we talked in the last episode about why that is, so I'll not go over that again. But if you're wondering, go back to the previous episode on tendon pain, what is it? And we'll talk about that. Now, so his surgeon colleagues, from what I understand, didn't want to operate on because they, they didn't really see that it would do any good. There wasn't any surgical procedure that would address Achilles tendon pain. So... They said, like, if you rupture it, we can stitch it back together and it'll be stronger and then maybe it won't hurt. And so that's what he tried to do. 
as far as I understand, he was trying to rupture his tendon. And he, he would stand on the edge of a step and he would put a backpack on. I forget the actual amount, but I think it was like three sets of 15 rep max calf raises with his legs straight. And then he would bend the leg a little bit and do three times 15 rep max with his calf bent. And let's say he had 10 or 20 or 30 pounds of weight in his backpack. So he was doing, um, what was it, like 490 calf raises. But what he would do, because the stress is higher in the eccentric part, which is the lowering part, is he would push himself up on two legs and lower himself down on one. And what you'll find is you can actually do more weight. So if, if you do just the eccentric part, so you say I put a backpack on and I've got like 20 pounds in it. That's not enough. Let's say 50 pounds. And I go up on two legs. I can lower myself down on one leg with 50 pounds, right? So up on two legs, down, lowering down on one, 50 pounds. Up on two, lowering down on one, 50 pounds. Which means he's trying to break it by putting 50 pounds on and then lowering it down. If he tried to go up and down, right, on one leg, he'd probably only be able to do maybe 30 pounds, right? So 30 pounds up, 30 pounds down. That means that the likelihood of him breaking it is lower. So this is where the idea of eccentric came in. So I'll go up on two, I'll come down on one, and then I can put more stress on it because I can put heavier weight on because I can do more weight for that. So that's what he did because his goal was to break his tendon so he could get his surgery, as, as the legend has it. <laughs> but after a few weeks, probably four to six weeks, based on what we know now, it stopped hurting so much. He could run more and it wasn't hurting him to walk around. It wasn't hurting to do these calf raises. It was actually getting stronger. And so he kept going and he did it for however long he did it. And he kept adding more weight and he just focused on that eccentric part. Uh, you know, he would go up on two legs and down on one. And that worked really well. So he started doing some research on it and he found that he could get good results in other people. And this is where tendon, sort of modern tendon research really really changed direction and started being about strengthening tendons. And there was lots and lots of research done on what's called eccentric, eccentric loading protocols or lowering protocols. So you're doing just the lowering part of the exercise and not the concentric, not the pulling up part. But then some clever researchers started looking at it and thinking, well, what if we just did both, right? That makes sense. And what, they found, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of studies done on eccentrics. And then there's been quite a lot of studies done on concentric plus eccentric. And then there's been a few studies that compared the two methods. And what they found is that eccentrics work, concentric eccentric works, comparing both, they're pretty similar. There's, there's a little bit of evidence either way. Some evidence says there's, um, there's a better effect of eccentrics and some evidence says there's a better effect of concentric plus eccentric. But the, the, they both have a far better effect than just a kind of wait and see approach or any other kind of intervention. So what I would say is they both work, but I don't see any good reason to exclude the, the concentric part, right? The part where you pull up, because we use that when you run, when you push yourself off, you pull up with your calf, you pu your calf pulls up concentrically. When you land, um, as you lower yourself forward, the, and, and sort of cushion the impact that the calf muscle with the Achilles tendon works eccentrically. So it does both things when we run. So for me, I don't see any reason to exclude the first 
as long as the evidence is equivocal, which it is. So I would say it's better just because it makes no sense to remove one part of it unless you have another specific reason to do that. So I always tell people do both, right? Because that's what we do. So if you've been to a physio or some other health professional and they gave you eccentrics, right? So they said, stand on the edge of the step, go up on two legs, move onto one leg, go down on just one leg. That's fine. It'll work as long as you go heavy enough and long as you do enough reps. But there's also good evidence now to say, stand on one leg, go up and down, up and down. That'll work too. The only thing that really seems to be important is the amount of time you spend doing it. So it's important to move slowly. So whether you're doing your calf raises or your lunges or your quad curl or your hamstring curl or whatever it is, you've got to move really slowly. So I tell people each rep, you know, it should take about three seconds to move up and about three seconds to move down. And there's been some good research on comparing that. And what they're looking at is something called time under tension, which is, you know, if you do 10 reps, and it takes you three seconds to go up, three seconds to go down. And that's six seconds for each rep. Six times 10 reps is 60 seconds. So it'll take you a minute to do that. If you did 10 reps, but it only took you one second to go up and one second to go down, that's two seconds each rep times <laughs> 10 reps is 20 seconds, I think. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so you're comparing 20 seconds with a minute. So your tendon is under stress for a minute versus your tendon being under stress for just 20 seconds. So obviously, it, there's far more stimulus to adapt on the tendon if it's a minute, which is why it's very important to move slowly. So I always tell people you, to use a metronome, which is just a, a, a timing beep. So if you Google metronome, 20 beats per minute right that'll mean it'll beep every three seconds and when you're doing your exercises you take three seconds to go up beep three seconds to go down beep three seconds to go up beep three seconds to go down beep it's infuriatingly slow (laughs) but it'll save you weeks of uh, strength training because it'll make you do that much more volume when you're doing your exercises so use a metronome set it to 20 beats a minute and make sure all of your reps are taking about six seconds each reps three Three seconds up, three seconds down. Man, we talked about a lot today. Okay, let's try and sum it up. Tendons hurt when they're not strong enough to do their job, okay? We can reduce the demands of the job, we can run a bit less, or we can make the tendon stronger so it's more able to do that job, or we can do a bit of both, and a bit of both is what I'd recommend. Um, Injections and other passive forms of therapy are not going to increase our capacity and they're not going to reduce the demand. So they're only going to be of limited help and they're going to need an intervention that targets one of those other two um, variables, the demand or the capacity, in order to actually work. So work on increasing your capacity and reduce the demand a little bit temporarily. Stresses placed on tendons can be placed on a spectrum of very easy to tolerate to very hard. Very hard is plyometric, skipping, running, sprinting. Very easy is static, which would be like standing or holding a position. And then you've got light slow, which is with no external weight, but moving slowly. Heavy slow, which is with a lot of external weight and moving slowly in between those two extremes of the spectrum. We know that Tendon pain is often associated with um, degeneration or 
changes in the tendon structure and we'll see collagen disorganization and gaps within the tendon and we know that they won't necessarily repair themselves with tendon rehabilitation with tendon strengthening but the capacity of the tendon overall can increase because we're going to strengthen the donut not the hole we're going to make the collagen that remains stronger we're going to make the muscle stronger we're going to make the tendon more robust overall even if those little gaps remain and on a practical note a good rule of thumb is to try and start at three sets of 15 rep max whatever exercise you choose if it's the achilles you could do the calf raise if it's the knee patella tendon you could do the seated knee extension if the hamstring you could do a hamstring curl if it's uh, the gluteal tendons you could do clams three sets of 15 as much weight as you can when you can do three sets of 15 well add more weight drop the reps down a bit and work at it for a couple of weeks until you get you know 10 reps then 12 then 15 and then you're like okay i need more weight if i can do 15 i need more weight keep doing that for a few weeks and sprinkle in some plyometric in the form of running jumping hopping skipping at the end of each workout only the amount that you're tending and tolerate you know if you're tending and tolerate something whether it be running or um, some kind of exercise using the traffic light system so we've got red light means you know it's hurting more the more you do it. it hurts the next day when you wake up when you get out of bed it hurts more each workout it hurts quite a bit when you're doing it that's red light pain one of those things is red light pain green light means it doesn't hurt at all you can fine to do it orange is proceed with caution it's a little bit of pain four four out of ten or less on a pain scale and it goes away when you stop it doesn't get worse each time you do it and it's very comf it's, it's very tolerable right that's the that's the way to think about it green orange and red and orange will be different for everybody and you decide where your orange is but pay attention to how it behaves afterwards with regards to running if you've got tendon issues like we've discussed having 48 hours between each run is a helpful strategy in order to give the tendon time to respond to that um, stress and the cellular turnover enough time to adapt and before you hit it again with another stimulus and I think that pretty much sums up tendon stuff. <laughs> so go back and check out the last episode on uh, pathology, which I think I titled Tendon Pain. What is it? If you haven't heard that one, it'll make this make a lot more sense. If you're having trouble with your tendons, I'll put a link in the show notes to a blog series I wrote about this a while back. I'll summarize all of this in the show notes and I'll put a, a few, uh, I'll embed a few examples of the exercises that I've talked about and I'll also put links in there to a, a blog series I wrote with three blogs that really outlined what all this research said and how it, how it emerged over the years which I think it's quite helpful <laughs> if you have tendon problems you'll almost certainly find it informative so uh, last podcast episode today's episode show notes and those three blogs I would definitely check out all of those things if you're having trouble with your tendon and uh, otherwise I will I'll sign off there Thanks for listening, guys. If you'd like your questions featured on the show, just email me, mboydphysio at gmail.com. And if you have a moment to leave a review on whatever podcast I'd be listening to this on, it would be a huge help. See you next week.